Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. Starting off today, I feel a little, I feel a little bit of zeal in my heart and I have this morning for a while, but I am convinced that God wants to pour out His wrath through us in this region. And um, I'll let that sit for a second. You know, you said you took the guy out of the Baptist church, but you just couldn't take that Baptist mentality out of the guy. We knew it would come up eventually. Yeah. But I love Romans 1.18 says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And we've seen this reality in the cross, not a bipolar deity, you know, a good son holding back, the good cop holding the bad cop back. Please don't hurt them, Father, you know, but the love of God being manifest to us all. And that wrath which was poured out was against every bit of darkness that held his people back from knowing him and walking with him. You know, everything that allegedly, right, Colossians 1, it was in the mind, separated man from God. He poured his wrath upon that. All the darkness which came in through the fall, you know. And the wrath of God that I'm talking about is a violent rage of the raging love of God that he has for people. And a wrath in the traditional sense against every dark thing which came in through the fall that was never meant to be our inheritance. Every bit of darkness, every sickness, every disease. I am convinced that there is a hatred in the heart of God for cancer and for autoimmune disease and for the pain which brings abuse and addiction, you know. So when I say I feel that we are called to be the agents of wrath in the earth, I mean the, the agents of the love of God, which is so jealous for His people, that wants to rescue everyone. That rage against that religious machine mentality that makes us feel like we're not accepted by Him when He has brought us to Himself in what he's paid for, you know, that reality, this walk of the Spirit we're called to walk, this freedom that he's given us, you know, that he wants us to walk in such wholeness in our own vessel, but also as the agents of that wholeness that are pointing people and connecting people to him to walk in that whole healing health that is the real, true Christian walk. You know, we've been in the book of Joshua. I'm probably going to stop it this week. But this is three in a row, which is big for me. I never do series, right? You know, and, but it's like, you know, we realize when the Israelites cross the Jordan River, this is a parabolic story. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, these things were written for us, right? So we see through these stories what it's like to walk in the Spirit in this new covenant Christian reality. Um, but it's, I mean, it's a literal story too. But we understand that the water, when the Ark of the Covenant, when those priests stepped into that Jordan River, the water backed all the way up to a city called Adam. 
You know what I mean? A city whose name happened to be Adam as a picture that everything that came in through the lineage of Adam since the fall had been pushed all the way back and now it was time for the people to step into their true inheritance. And this is the baptism, right? This is, I mean, we kind of understand, right, like the, these concepts of being, air quotes, slaves to Pharaoh and to Egypt, slaves unto sin. We've come under an identity that was never ours to be, We've, you know, slaves, when our identity was son, Israel, prince with God, and this baptism happens when they've, they've come out of Egypt and all of sin, Pharaoh, Satan, whatever you want to call it, all of darkness tried to follow them, but the Red Sea parted and they went across on dry ground. But what didn't go across on dry ground was everything trying to follow them, yeah. right? Yeah. There's your baptism right there. Bang, you know. We're officially Baptists, right? Then, then there's the wilderness generation. But something kept them out of the promised land. Number 13, it was fear. The fear which was, is still called to be, have no place in our hearts. The fear of the Lord which trumps it, which is the, the love of God manifest, the reality of heavenly domain around us. is like there was a second baptism and it was the Jordan River. Boom. Fear had died off for 40 years-ish, right? Now there's a whole other generation. They go into the promised land. They go in, again, baptism number two. Now we know as Christians there is no baptism number two necessarily it's all it's all one picture you know um, but for them the water backed up to Jordan and they walked across on the dry ground then it comes you know the water came back after after it stood up in a heap down at Adam but the reality is just a reminder the symbolism of Joshua which you know the root word of the name of the Lord Jesus and the Red Sea and the Jordan it's literally about Christianity, which is a spiritual, supernatural, transformative walk where we are inheriting the victory given to us at the cross in its fullness. And the promised land, even in those days, was full of, air quotes, bad guys, squatters, and even Nephilim, giants, the very thing that all the Israelites were afraid of on the first round, <laughs> you know what I mean? Those, those, those men of renown, the heroes of old, it calls them in Genesis 6, those, those ones that were hybrid, they were, for lack of a better term, they were part angel, part human, you know, all these things that happened in Genesis 6 that flooded the world with these Nephilim that everybody was afraid of in Numbers 13. Now they're actually going into what seems to be enemy territory, but it's not, it's theirs, yes. you know? It's like they're inheriting the promises through all the battles and all the trials that they're actually experiencing in this life. And this is such a prophetic picture of New Testament Christianity. Because it's not that we're waiting to cross the Jordan when we die and go to heaven. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's the prayer of the Lord Jesus. is like, hey, the heaven is now. The kingdom. Father in heaven, your kingdom, may it come and may your will be done now here. Let us transform this dimension and this domain into that one. You know, the, the tools, the, the authority he gives us in New Testament Christianity, what you bind here is what's bound there. What you loose here is what's loose there. In other words, you know, it's like go to another country and establish your culture there. You know, go to England and establish Texas over there. We're not drinking that tea. We're drinking coffee. You know, well, we're not eating those little little things. We eat some big biscuits. We like the barbecue. You know what I mean? We talk like this. We wear cowboy boots. We don't wear those things you wear. You know what I mean? It's like establish your, the culture of this place there. Yes, Lord. You know what I mean? 
Open carry? No. <laughs> drive a big old truck? I ain't driving that little thing. I want, want the big wheels now, you know? Sorry. But it's more than that. It's the authority which Jesus demonstrated. There is no Christianity that's not spirit-filled Christianity. There's no such thing as it. Well, I beg to differ, brother. Like, no, yeah, I know, like, I know there's stuff that's called. You know, it's interesting what Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, what he called that. And he said to stay away from it. He's called it holding to a form of godliness, but, but denying the power thereof. And he says, stay away from it. It ain't real. And this isn't rage against the church machine, you know, all this stuff. The, the machine rages against the true church. That's the way it really works. It's all smoke and mirrors. But look, the reality is there, there is no Christianity that's not this spirit walk. And we see through all these stories this prophetic picture of what it means to walk with the Lord Jesus into victory and to take land. And it's a progressive thing. And that's what he told Moses and Joshua. I'm going to drive out the inhabitants of the land before you little by little. I'm not going to give you the whole thing at once because it'd be too big for you. But little by little, I will clear it out. And it's the same with this walk of the Spirit, this walk of taking ground constantly in our hearts and our minds of what God has actually already established for us. Right? So last week we did Jericho, and this week we want to... I'm going to... Well, the place is called I, but it's spelled A-I, so I don't know how I'll say it. Some people say it's spelled, you're supposed to pronounce it Aya, but definitely not doing that, you know, but A-I or I, there's this, there's this reality that God had given the people of Israel, and it's the same what he's given us today, right? And it was like, you have guaranteed victory. You know, like almost all theologies and, and, and conflict of doctrine and all these things, almost all of them come in, I believe, in their... In, in the root of it, especially all the false stuff, in making excuses for why we don't have what God says we should have, yeah. or why we're not living the victory of what God has actually proclaimed us to live. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it puts it off until, well, let's at least just put it off until after we die, you know, which just doesn't make sense because when the words are in red, it's like, that's not how Jesus talked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Remember like Luke 17, he's telling the Pharisees, they're like, when's the, you know, the Pharisees now who dislike him and they want to catch him in his words, asking him when the kingdom of God's going to come. He says it doesn't come with observation. You know, it doesn't come sitting down waiting and looking and, and when's God going to do this thing. He said the kingdom of heaven is within you. Now that's controversial because these guys have not said the sinner's prayer and he's saying that to them. Right? The Pharisees. <laughs> you can see it right there. It's just like, hey, this... In other words, there's something on my end that is finished. It's a, a, the covenant is filial. It's, not, it's, not, it's like I've established it on, I'm establishing it on, on, on your behalf, and you can just, as soon as you decide to accept and release what's in you, you can have it. Yeah. It's actually at hand, which means it's here. Come it's on. already here. Come on. You know, it's like, man, he ain't been to the cross telling the disciples, to go, go tell people the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What are you talking about? You know, they, they haven't been worthy enough to do that but in you know see he's outside of time and space crucified before the foundations of the earth and so this is a different game to him and we try to we try to put our little rules and regulations on him and then when we have failures like oh it didn't work i'm out <laughs> you know what i mean and stay inside, instead of saying hold, hold on now let's make an adjustment here and see 
the words to Joshua in Joshua 1 and to all of Israel and to us. It was like, there's these rules. I say that word loosely, right? But rules of victory. One, it's follow the Lord. That's one. Two, it was be strong and very courageous. And in other words, lock in and don't actually accept anything but strength and courage. The way that's written there, it's just like lock in. I said it's kind of like a dog that locks onto a ball, but that's, I have one like that. But it's like, you know, it's like lock in and, and don't take anything else for an answer. Be strong, courageous. Tells him three times that. Have I not? Oh, and by the way, have I not told you be strong and courageous? It's like this, this, read Hebrews, it's like this covenant God's made on our behalf. It's like we're called to be completely and totally confident in this thing and stop looking at ourselves for flaws and for reasons that we're disqualified when he's already qualified us. It holds people back, man. He's like, and don't be afraid. And one other, one other thing he says, he's like, you shall meditate on the law day and night. Meditate on it. Does that mean memorize the Torah? Well, they thought, you know, but it's like you meditate on the reality of the substance of the heart of God that's in this thing. Look past just the words and understand it. And see, that's why I love Matthew 22. When they're, again, lawyers and Pharisees and people are questioning Jesus all the time. What's the greatest commandment? He says, you got it. It's like, it is one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And two, love your neighbor as yourself. The, on these things hang all of the law and the prophets. So there, boom, we have the answer to Joshua's declaration from God of like, hey, meditate on this. The love of God, uh, the wrath of God, you know what I mean? The love of God is to what we meditate. It, it, is, it is what we permeate ourselves in. It's what we saturate ourselves in. It's not how much we memorize. I'm, I'm cool with memorization and things like this. Uh, but what I'm talking about is, is like there's something to letting the love of God take its root within us to where that's the only way we see people. Yeah. They step into the promised land and, you know, Joshua pulls the sword out on the Lord Jesus, the embodiment of Yahweh, the angel of the Lord. And he says, are you with them? Or are you with us? And he speaks back to him. He's like, I'm not for neither one. Take off your shoes. It's a holy place. It's like there's a mentality that the Lord's growing in us. Like, hey, love, there's, there is no human enemy for you anymore in this promised land invasion. Love your enemies. Like, what? You know, like, that's, that's, that's backwards. You know what I mean? It's like that is the, the mindset of the law. This, on these two things hang the law and the prophets. We know what hanged. It was Jesus. He hanged on that tree. The upper beam was... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The side-to-side -side beam was love your neighbor as yourself. You know what I'm saying? It's just like on these hang, it's like the fulfillment of who God is, the, the reality of the victory that he's purchased on our behalf. The reality of his wrath was never against mankind. It was against everything that held mankind back. And he was willing to suffer the most brutal torture and death possible to give it to us all again and to manifest his heart to us all. You know what I mean? It's such a cool thing. And so we're looking at all these parabolic stories, which are literal, but they're parabolic for us. And we're seeing them step into the promised land. It's like, could God be that good that he's like, hey, listen, if you just follow me and you maintain the love of God in your hearts and you let yourself be conformed to that image, you'll have victory everywhere you go. But what about my five-year plan? What about my you know, degrees and all this stuff? I like degrees. I like plans. That's fine. But as long as it doesn't trump becoming one with God in our hearts the first thing you know what i'm saying paul said the same thing 
about those the, the, the law is fulfilled in loving God and loving your neighbor. It's, it's, this is the essence of our walk. There is nothing but victory for us. Amen. And I know that's a, that, even that, that saying, it can, trigger, it can trigger people that experience things that they would not define as victory. You know? But the thing's not done yet. And we have been given this opportunity to walk in the authority of God to where on His end, it's finished. And it's like, will we believe what He says? And will we stand with it and walk in it? Right? Like the parable of the sower, Matthew 13. The, all the opposition comes because of the seed. It becomes because of the Word of God. Not to shut it down. It causes it to strengthen and grow and thrive. You know? And that's us, man. All the opposition. I think that's kind of what Dory was saying. Like She had a lot of opposition this year, but it's like, yeah, but what does it do? It's like it, when we become one with the Lord through all of even our trials, and we, we realize these guys just aren't like, they don't just love being in pain. <laughs> you know, James, Jesus' half-brother, he's talking about, you know, rejoice encountering various trials because it's actually doing something. Enemy means it for one thing, but for, for God, it manifests the victory of heaven through your life, yeah. you know. And so this is the story of the next battle of Joshua. We've seen Joshua literally do the seven-fold spirit walk around Jericho, the walk of the spirit that this thing is actually talking about, right? And the last chapter, I think we were in, you know, Joshua, whatever, three, four, five, I think we're on six now. And, um, oh, no, no, we're on seven now. Anyway, so they, they destroyed Israel, I mean, um, Jericho, but there was also something. They're also riding really high because they just, they just came through the Jordan River. They just routed their enemies in a really profound supernatural way. They're obviously living the, 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 the playbook. That's a better than the rule book. The playbook of, of you know, meditate on the law day and night. You know, follow the Lord in all that you do and being strong and courageous. They're, but there was one more play to the playbook. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that was this thing in the Hebrew, and it's called harem, harem. And um, it, it, you know, it kind of is introduced in several spots, but we've seen it in Joshua 6, verse 17. And if you remember this, when it's like, yo, these walls are going to fall to the ground, and you guys are going to ransack and actually destroy everything. The gold and silver belongs to the temple of God. Don't take any of the other things, and no matter what, don't take anything that is accursed. But all of these things have to be devoted to destruction, this, this harem, this karem, you know, this, this reality. And see, that's another thing I want to focus on today, is like, in this spiritual walk of actually walking by the Spirit, it's so, um, I don't, it's, it's, it's obscure, or it's oblique, or it's um, not common, right? The victory and the way we walk this thing out and, and following the Lord. But there's also some, some very practical things that He gives us, and there's also at times when there's certain things that need to be cut out fully. Yes. And it's not a religious thing, right? Well, you got to be, oh, brother, you know, amen, you know. But it, it's literally something like, hey, there's, there's things that want to have strings attached to you that there can be no tolerance. You can't tolerate at, at all because eventually it'll reach up and grab your steering, steering wheel and pull you into a ditch. Yeah. It's not about a rule or regulation. It's about tie, being tied to things that are dark that God doesn't want in our life. You know? And that's actually what happened by apparently this guy named Achan that we see in, in Joshua uh, 7. That rule, that harem, this total destruction, the devotion of total destruction, 
was violated by one guy because he saw some gold and silver that he wanted, but he saw what the New King James will call a Babylonian garment, which was actually a garment of Shinar is the way it's, the word really is. And that word will trigger some things for most of you guys. But he saw this, this priestly garment of Shinar that he just had to have. And so that some of the things that were devoted to destruction, he actually kept for himself. The gold and the silver was actually supposed to go to the temple. But that garment was supposed to be burnt. It was supposed to be gotten rid of. And we think, like, what's the big deal? He saw, you know, he saw a Gucci sweater or something. He's like, dang, you know, I can never afford those before. I want to get that, you know, whatever. Some starter jacket. I don't know what I liked it as a kid. But he's like, dang, I want to have this. So he took it and he, and he dug a little hole in his tent and he hid it away. But just, uh, not to get too off in it, but I think the majority have been around long enough and you kind of understand some of these practical things. We did this a little bit last year, what harem, a harem meant, the total destruction. That harem, this, when we look at Genesis 6, this is where the asterisk comes in just for the message. When we look at it and we talk about the sons of God, the Benai Elohim, these, these sons of the Elohim, sometimes it's called angels, you know, Peter in his books calls them angels. Jude in his book calls them angels. Talk about how they left their heavenly abode and, and basically mated with women on the earth and produced an offspring that was never supposed to exist here. And so when Genesis 6 talks about the history before the flood, he talks about this violation of the sons of God which came and actually mated with these women and they produced a race of being that actually filled the entire earth, right? Um, but when, when the books of Enoch, like found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, refer to the historical story, and, and you know, its genealogies line up perfectly with the book of Genesis, and so do like the books of Jasher and some of those other books, the books of Giants, all these ancient books. But when, when they lay out all these things, historically, they, they list the place of the, the initial rebellion as being Mount Hermon, Mount Hermon, you know, I'm sorry to spit on you guys and mispronounce things, but Mount Hermon, you know what I mean? And that Hermon and Kerem is, it's the same root word, basically, meaning the same thing. That mountain, which is the very place which Jesus stood against and said, the gates of hell will not prevail, was known in the ancient Near East as the place of the gates of hell, the kings of the undead. And this is not just biblical studies. This is also through the, all the Ugaric texts. This is through all the Sumerian texts and Babylonian history. And, you know, their god was Marduk. And there was a rebellion that actually where some of his sons came down and made with the daughter. There's all these polemics and, and, and different ones, but we know we got the right one. But anyways, I don't want to do that too long because I probably lost, lost about 10% of the people. But it's one of those things when you, when you bring somebody new to church, you're like, dang, he's doing this. But like, yeah, but it's... it's it's kind of important to the whole entire Bible because it unlocks the whole thing. Yeah. And so when, when, when Moses steps up, his job in the promised land and even before was to rout all the nations that had the giant clans within them. You know? And when you go through the maps of all the wars of Moses and Joshua, it's all giant clans. Now, not that all the people were Nephilim because they didn't look necessarily like giants. They just looked different. But they were mixed in with the people in several different places, which is the reason, right, in Numbers 13, why the, the fearful Israelites did not want to go into the promised land. They said the sons of Anak are there. They're massive to us. Like, they're, they're, they, they'll eat us for lunch, except for Joshua and Caleb, the only two that actually lived past those four years, right? So you guys know this stuff. But anyhow, so this story um, of, of these people groups and these things that were there were highly demonic in nature, you know, 
they were connected with something all the way back to like um, Nimrod, which now Nimrod's like an insult that you, you, what a Nimrod, you know what I mean? But that's an actual real name in the Bible about this great warrior. But his, his name and his person is actually also through all kind of Sumerian religion texts. He's, he's through Ugaritic stuff. Just the ancient Near East, like there's this character that very similar to us in Genesis 10, going into Genesis 11, erected this tower, this Tower of Babel, in this plain called the Plain of Shinar. We're really getting out there today, folks, I know. But, you know, so there's this Plain of Shinar that we look at in Genesis 10 and 11 where this tower was put to reach into heaven. And we think, like, oh, these are just like a bunch of cavemen in the Bible days, you know, building a spiral staircase. And it's just like, no, they built this thing in a plain. They didn't build it on the, on the top of the highest mountain. Um, this was a stargate meant to reach into something supernatural and spiritual. You know, there was, I think, believe technology in those days that rivals some of the stuff that we, we live in today. Just look at the ancient pyramids and stuff like that. Wow, we're really going here today, right? <laughs> um, this is just backstory. But um, anyways, one famous Nephilim king, while we're doing that, in the Bible was named Og of Bashan. You ever heard some of that story, you know? He was known as the last of the Rephaim, the way the Bible actually talks about him. is a giant clan that was living in the land that included Mount Hermon. Hermon. It is believed. Bashan was believed to be the place of the gates of hell throughout the ancient Near East. Enoch describes Mount Hermon as the mountain where the sons of God descended when they came to earth to cohabit with the human women. That's the place where they came and made the agreement. So in the biblical narrative... The reason that's a gateway of hell, because that's where they all met and decided to rebel against God. Now, they have different stuff in the Babylonian, but it's very similar. It's weird similar, which is why, like, Bill Maher is like, well, the Bible's just written after Babylonian text, and they mock it. You know what I'm saying? But, but the Bible holds so much more weight. But in Deuteronomy 3, when it talks about Agabashan, it describes his bed as a certain size, 9 by 4 cubits, right? And um, it's precisely the size as the cultic bed in a ziggurat found by actual, you know, archaeologists that is known as Edamanaki. You know, and you can look that up if you want just to be fun or you like ancient aliens or whatever, um, which I don't. But, um, but it's the ziggurat that most archaeologists identify as the Tower of Bible that's Tower of Babel that's referred to in the Bible. In the Babylonian polemic, it is the place where the god Marduk and the divine wife Zap. Zapanitu met annually for ritualistic, uh, you know, lovemaking and, and, and to, to bless the land. So anyhow, so I know that's kind of hairy, but you see what's going on here. There's even stuff in our Bible with, you know, the size of his bed, that four by six, you know, whatever, nine by four cubic bed that this man had, this cultic bed, that's actually been found by archaeologists, and the same sizes of his bed are actually written in the Babylonian polemics that actually are the, very similar. And so all this stuff is very real, and it's very historical. But I think I'm just saying this, one, because it interests me, and I'm, I like to be interested, but mainly because I want to paint the picture of the reality that these aren't just cavemen with bows and arrows fighting in battles, and this bipolar God that, well, the, the God in the Old Testament must be different than the God in the New Testament, which is poison in itself, you know what I'm saying? Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and He was God simultaneously so that's beautiful um, if you've seen me you've seen the father so we've seen the love of God so I don't see I don't see genocidal maniac in there um, but also historically when you see 
the reality of the human shields created by the giant clans. And you see the stuff that's there, even in our Bible, littered throughout the whole thing. We understand there was a demonic force that was occupying the promised land that was more powerful and probably more intimidating than we give them credit for. Because we're like, well, they had a cloud by day and a fire by night. They had manna falling from heaven. Why were they such cowards not to go in? Why weren't they just like Joshua? I sure would have been. You know what I mean? But it's like, hey, they're, they're, they're mixing in a supernatural, evil, mystical, magical technology and funkiness, sacrificing children almost every place they go because it's so highly demonic. That was very intimidating and supernatural and powerful. But the good news is, Come on. our walk's the same. But it's all life. And it's a very supernatural walk. You know? So yeah, so Haram. Back to the story. So now we're going into the battle of Ai. That was just a little asterisk. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe it lost some folks. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. Um, but the reality is, is there's a dark presence that occupies this place. And it's powerful. And God's saying, everything must be devoted to destruction. You've got to wipe the whole thing out. Every bit of it. And Achan decides to keep a little, a fancy little jersey or something, you know? A fancy little cloak, which the Bible calls a, uh, the cloak of Shinar. Shinar is the plain where Babel is from. So there's a reason he was attracted to it. I don't know if it's like Frodo in that ring or Gollum or whatever, but it was like, whoa, I want that. Because you think how stupid that is. You've got a law. If you take anything, you're going to be put to death, which sounds just brutal and savage. But it's like, you've got that law. But for him, it was like, man, I could just keep it hidden for a while. I just want to have it in my house. It's like, dude, you can't even wear that nowhere. It's evidence. But something within him was like, ooh, oh, man, I need it. Because there was something tied to it. There was something tied to it. So if you read um, uh, Joshua chapter 7, the children of Israel committed a trespass, is what it says. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai to spy out the land, but they returned to him and said, hey, don't let all the people go up. Let's just send about two or 3,000 of our soldiers there. Don't weary all the people, because the men of Ai are few. Another instant violation in the promised land I think success is a greater test than failure often. Because success and comfort is just like, well, I don't really need God right now. You know what I'm saying? Um, they weren't really connecting. It's like, ah, oh, we can just do, don't, not everybody, let's, let's, let's not go all in on this. Let's just send a little bit. We got this. We got this. So maybe pray about it instead. But um, It says, so the Israelites went down there and they got struck down. And 36 Israelites died, which is pretty bad. It says, therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. So there's the fear from Numbers 13 started to come into people again. But it's a fear, which I thought we were God's people. I thought he had us covered. It's, it's rooted directly to him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Directly. I thought he was giving us this. It says, I, I love this, because you know what I think, right? Joshua pulls his sword out on the angel of the Lord, on Jesus, on Yahweh. And then he takes his shoes off and bows to him. So we, you know, Joshua is courageous. Joshua is one of the 12 spies, only two of them, that weren't afraid of the giants and the Nephilim. He's like, let's go. There'll be food for us, he said. So this is a really tough dude, and he's not, he's not skittish. Um, but then look at the state 
that he gets in, that he buys into after this defeat of 36 people dying. It says he starts tearing his clothes and falls to earth before the ark of the Lord. He literally comes in before the presence of God. Ah! Verse 7, Alas, Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all just to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we would have been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan. I can't believe I fell for all this spiritual thing. You know, I could have been comfortable just going to church, eating at the buffet afterwards. I didn't have to take this so seriously. All my friends told me not to take it so seriously. Now it's just, this is ridiculous. I wish we would have gone back. This is Joshua saying this. This is so uncharacteristic. But it's the level of fear that, that was being released through the people. Oh Lord, what shall I say? when Israel turns back before its enemies. Like, how's this going to look? The Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land are going to hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. What are you going to do for your great name? Can you imagine that? Don't you remember, God, this is about you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's like, oh, snap, I forgot. I wasn't with you, God. You know, just like, you know, we, we can be this certain way. And it's, a victim mentality takes no responsibility. But an empowered person is looking for responsibility. You know? And we've been fully empowered. Amen. Given full victory. But the victim mentality, which is toxic and poison, man, and it spreads, as you can see. So he's, he's lying on his face with his clothes ripped up, some dirt on his head, freaking out. Really accusing the Lord, like, God, why have you done this? Like this, is, like, this is on you. And I love what God says to him in verse 10. Get up. Why are you lying thus on your face? That's New King James. Look at, why are you laying like that? Get off the ground. Come on, man, get up. This is ridiculous. Any parents in here, you know what that's about? Like, don't be like that. Come on, it didn't even hurt that bad. Come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's like, get up. He's like, Israel's sin. They've transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. They've even taken some of the accursed things. They've stolen and deceived. They've also put it in, among their own stuff. That's why they couldn't stand before their enemies. They turned their backs before their enemies. They were doomed to destruction. And I'm not going to be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up and sanctify the people. Say, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord, the Lord is going to come and He's going he's to reveal this deal. What this thing, what, what has happened. He's going he's to reveal the point of responsibility here. You know. But I love that. It's like, hey man, the problem's not on me. The covenant's good. Like, I've actually given it to your hand. Instead of becoming a victim and just checking out, like, oh, this is just too much. Never mind, it just doesn't work. Time to retreat. Instead, it's like, hey, there's an adjustment to be made. There's, been, there's some ties with some dark things. It's like, I can't be in you and with you and continue to let you have victory in this stuff if you've got ties to that which is dark, which is going to try to take you out eventually. And it's not even about, well, I, I want to teach you a lesson and show you something hard. It's like, hey, man, this is a new game. There's no victims in this life. Now we're in the promised land. It's occupied by the darkness. You've actually, it, this isn't civilian affairs. You've come into the, the reality of being a soldier of this kingdom. It's like you can't play with a hand in the cookie jar of darkness and actually address darkness because if you do, it'll be inside your house and it'll destroy you. Yeah. 
That's what's happened here. This isn't on me. I've given it to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, wait a minute. You, we can't tolerate the things you could tolerate in the wilderness time, which was, you know, this, this mentality of fear and all these other things that were going around and around in circles, which even in the wilderness, the, the longer the book of Numbers goes on, the closer they got, the, more, the less they got away with. But it's just like, hey, man, like, understand who I am and that I'm with you. And like, this is not what that is about. This is not what's going on. So it's interesting. There's, there's lessons to be learned there. Um, yeah, there's stuff you can get away with on the other side of Jordan. You can't now. You're engaging the enemy in order for, to reclaim land. But you can't give the enemy a backdoor interest in your life because it'll destroy you. And he doesn't want his people destroyed. You know what I mean? You see this all the time. Like even with like Saul wouldn't kill King Agag which sounds awful, and Samuel steps up, well, I'll do it, you know what I mean? Because he was the baddest prophet, you know what I mean? One of them. Uh, but, you know, Samuel steps up, and, and, you know, but the reality is, like, Saul didn't want to kill and wipe out certain kingdoms and king groups, which is why he ended up getting taken out of being the king, right? And then Agag and his family, some that escape, end up being the ones in the book of Esther that are trying to wipe out the people of God. It's like, hey, there's stuff in these lineages and lines that are going to find its maturity in your life, and there's an opportune time. They're going to come, the Agagite, whatever the guy's name was, and uh, Haman, and, and, and you know, he's going to come after you in, in, in the book of Esther. He's going to try to wipe out God's people. It's like there's things God wants us to snuff out in the, in the moment. Like, hey, this can't keep going with you. And it's not a religious structural. This is, this is one of the rules, brother, of knowledge of good and evil. This one's on the evil list. You know, that's still the fruit of works to be accepted. This isn't about being accepted. This is about the pruning and the raising the discipline of the sons of God. It's like, hey, there's certain things that you, they can't have. They can't, that's not going to serve you well in the future. Eventually, it's going to catch you. And I don't want it there. Another thing, we can skirt off this real quick, but you know what happens to, to Achan. They draw a lot. You know, they, they end up finding it was him. And him and his family and all his tents and all of the stuff get, you know, they get burnt a lot. They get killed, you know what I mean? They wiped off. And then, so, yeah, that, that's, what's, that's what's happening here is, is the, the guy that did this, he gets destroyed. And that cloak, the priestly garment of Shinar, whatever supernatural power it had or whatever it lured him into, whatever thing got burnt, you know? And uh, this is from the priest that actually erected Babel. Who knows? If it was Augs, I mean, I don't, I, it, not, couldn't have been Augs, but you know what I'm saying? It's just like, who knows what this is? Regardless, it had to be removed. And when it was removed, the Israelites went back to Ai and had victory because God had given it to them, just like he's given it to us. We're not crying out for an outpouring of the Spirit. This is foolishness. I know it's popular these days, but the reality is, is what John the Baptist said, is like he gives his Spirit without measure. He doesn't pour out his spirit by measure. It's like God has fully given us the kingdom. It's his good pleasure to give it to us. And we're walking in this mature, not saying that we're walking in the fullness of that reality, but the walk of the spirit is walking in such a way that we are constantly learning and growing and displacing things that don't have its right in our life so that we have more room to accept and to hold on to and release that which is of the kingdom, to really and truly steward those things. It's a brilliant thing, Christian maturity. That's what the wheels, the Romans 8, that's what all of creation is longing and groaning for, the sons of God to be revealed. It's these mature sons, though. It's those ones that are walking with Him, it says. Romans 8 says that. Those who are led of the Spirit of God, these are those wheels. These are the sons of God. That's what Romans 8 is actually about. It's like becoming those who can actually take and lay hold and manifest the promised land, continually taking ground. Amen. You know, 
somebody quoted this, man, was it Wednesday night? If you raise your hand at me when we took communion about, about the, the path of the righteous is like the dawning of the sun that shines brighter and brighter into the fullness of day. Maybe you're working childcare today, so I won't give you no credit then, fine. Was it Dory? It was Dory. Where is Dory? Oh, she's way back there. All right. You got it, Dory. Anyway, so you got your credit. <laughs> it's good, though. It's good. It's great. Um, but the reality is, like, the thing is, advancement is the, is, the, is the reality of the Christian walk. And it's wholeness. And on his end, it's like, dude, get up off your... T you ripped a perfectly good outfit, Joshua. You ripped a perfectly good cloak there, buddy. You know what I'm saying? This ain't even about all this. Yes, it is about my name. You are the people of my name. The name of the Lord is the Lord Jesus. And it's just like, look, man, there's something that's got in. It's something beautiful about cutting strings. Sometimes even strings that we leave attached, it might not even be something dark. It can be relational things that we know it's time to move past in our life. Yeah. And I know that that can be tough, and I know that it is at times. But I'll tell you, I'm vulnerably, just like looking back as a ministry, you know, there's so many times... Um, when I remember like even if people were like serving or maybe they were kind of dug into some quasi leadership position or something like that where, where it's like there could be a behavior or a pattern of something that was wrong that was not of the Lord but you felt like you couldn't address it because they're pulling so much weight in your life or they're doing so much but in reality the more I've, we've trusted the Lord in the thing and stuff like that th there can be this threatening Maybe this is too much, but threatening, you know, posture of like, hey, well, if you don't enable me to do what I want to do, I'm going to take my ball and go home. And then you're going to be left high and dry and you're going to have a hole there that no one else can fill. And it's a true threat when you feel like you're getting your needs met by people. But man, when when it's something that's like, hey, I can't I can't move forward with this and you do sever it. You find that the Lord actually comes and brings into your life exactly what you needed. And the threat was false. It was empty, you know, and I think a lot of times people, you know, they, you can have people or relationships that are so dug into your world um, that they make you feel like if you don't allow them to continue in the way that they want, they're going to leave you high and dry. If you don't do it my way, I'm going to take my ball and go home and we're going to see how you do without me. Um, but the reality is just manipulation, just like everything that's rooted in fear. And uh, they're not actually doing you any favors. And as soon as you actually put a boundary up in that type of behavior and if it ends up being a severance you'll realize that the Lord comes and he strengthens you and you actually move forward and advance and grow and you're calling a purpose in the Lord you know it's just it's a beautiful thing um, but there's so much in that story complete victory one thing is we're like we're like right in you know as, as a church we always I'll close with this right say that so everybody calms down make sure you, if you have to go to the bathroom you hold off you're like give me a comment um, but it's like as a church, every year for the past eight or nine years, we've always, and it's really because a lot of the guys that I used to be under that ordained me and stuff back in the day, the Jewish calendar was a big deal to them. And the calendar that these guys walked that we're talking about, you know, Rosh Hashanah into Yom Kippur, this coming week and all this stuff. And, and just even a lot of the, the Jewish uh, traditional, their heritage, the way they kind of look at the Jewish New Year, and they take this time of year to actually pray and seek the Lord, but also to look over their year. And I know many of you have been doing the questions because we've all been talking about those things. We have those questions every year of kind of like an assessment of what are the things the Lord's brought me through and added to me this year? What is the truth and understanding that I've gained this year? And also, what are the things that maybe the Lord's removed from me this year or taken the burdens that He's taken off from me this year? And then number three was like, 
where do I see, what is the Lord speaking about next year? What is he leading me into? And, and there's something so good about that, that time. It's not like just navel gazing into trying to you know, figure yourself out, but like literally in a, in a heart of thanksgiving, connecting to the Lord. Um, and instead of going around the same mountains over and over again, even asking the Lord, hey, is there, is there anything that I tolerate in my life or a string that I need to have the courage to literally cut and move forward in? You know, that's bearing fruit that's not necessarily good, that it's really just because I'm afraid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or is, you know, do I self-medicate in certain ways that you're calling me to actually come out of and do, do the healing that is within the heart that only that you can do or I release forgiveness and you heal the heart that I'm actually not using these crutches to get me through my days anymore. You know, is there a strength you're imparting to me? You know, because any of that fear that these guys were dealing with, it's, it's, there's a flip side to the coin as well because that's what I see the Lord's doing in so much of the body. It's like removing every bit of fear because if we're led by the love of God, and, and those who are led of the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And he's telling Joshua, be led by me, led, lead the people by me, but by no means ever be afraid, only be confident, which is like an extreme level of not being afraid. It is the true peace of God. There's something to this mentality where we can ruthlessly pursue the peace and wholeness of God in our life. And whenever there is fear, instead of like trying to turn a blind eye to it or self-medicate or do whatever we need to do, is addressing it. Hey, this is, this is rooted in some sort of lie that I don't need to tolerate. Yeah. And, I, and, and the buck stops here. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? We don't need a special Jewish New Year to do this, but I mean, we might as well use it for something, right? You know what I mean? But I mean, but we can do this at any time, you know, in the walk with the Lord. Because even just the way they, they went and tried to attack AI initially, or I or Aya initially, was like, well, they don't have that much people. Let's just, we don't need to go all in there. Because the flip side of that confidence in the flesh and fear in the flesh, it's all in the flesh. None of it's in the spirit, you know? And I, th I think God wants to, he wants to cut the whole thing off. He wants to circumcise that whole heart, every bit of the flesh that doesn't belong there. He wants us to be free to walk by the spirit. And it's not like we're looking for an Achan to blame in our life. Well, this person's the reason, you know what I mean? We're looking at Israel again in this baptism as a person, as the prince with God. And we can look at the whole congregation, not even as our church, but we can look at it as our own person, our own vessel. Is there aspects of me that is not wholehearted in the Lord? Or is there aspects where, where like I'm not fully following? Or is there aspects where there is a string attached? And, and even that in our own hearts of like cutting those things out in order for, to make more room for the Lord. You know? This is what John the Baptist, the greatest prophet of all time, knew. You know what I'm saying? He understood in the wilderness make way, the Isaiah prophecy. There's something about creating space. And where space has been occupied with something that doesn't belong, it's like create space. Because we're not trying to build a rocket ship to go into heaven and, and explode and be this awesome and whatever. You know what I'm saying? We're actually trying to build a landing pad. Yeah. We're creating space for heaven to manifest itself in the world. Book of Revelation, you see the New Jerusalem is coming out of heaven into the world. There must be base created for that you know John knew this but it's the same with us God is calling us to have complete and total victory in every aspect of our life and in doing this he's actually teaching us to walk in the spirit the whole thing is a, is a spirit walk and the point of even the Rosh Hashanah questions that we do every year is that victory is the point when he said it's finished 
If it wasn't an ask for us, buy it, well, yeah, but not for me, because I still got to No. It's like we got to actually accept an access. And sometimes there's even practical adjustments. When we're not seeing, I believe that when we're not seeing victory in our life, a lot of times it's like there's understanding that has to be gained there. Because it's like understanding is to be standing under something, but it's like, how do I, I must be somewhat out of alignment because I'm not seeing it in this aspect of my life. So how do I, how do I click over? How do I, how do I shift? How do I adjust? That's repentance is a mindset change, right? It's not like, oh, I'm evil. I'm dark. No, that's rooted in self-hatred, which is the law of good and evil. It's like this mindset change where we can connect into him like, hey, maybe you got a V8 and maybe you function in six out of eight cylinders. Like, hey, man, I want a little bit. There's more power that's called to be manifested in my life. There's stuff that I shouldn't have to deal with. And, and, and you know, I want to click over into this relational walk. Like, where is the adjustment? Let the Lord lead us in that stuff, man. Yeah. You know, the way God sees us and the way we see ourselves, if we, can, if we can catch a glimpse of how He sees us, I mean, that's how we opened up. Like, if we can catch a glimpse of the reality of the covering that's there for us and the wholeness and the purpose that He has, that it's His good pleasure to give us the kingdom, and that He actually wants it for us more than we want it. Yeah. Uh, the disqualification's all in our mind, Colossians 1. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's all, that's all mental. It's not actually there on His end. It's like, oh, you actually want this. What about your name, Lord? It's like, no, 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 that's what, yeah, that's my, my idea, Joshua. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, there just needs to be an adjustment. This is still my plan. This is still my heart. We've seen his heart. You know, we've seen his glory. Moses saw his glory. It was his back. We know what his back looks like. It's whipped up, right? He's paid for it. Bent over backwards for it. He is fully extended to us all. And he's posturing people for victory. Yeah. I know this. This is what the city on the hill looks like. This is what a light that's in a lampstand. He wants to posture people to be seen. And it's not about image, the way the image is the, the champion of this town. It's about the image of God Amen. through his imagers, those created in his image. Amen. Because that's what unlocks people like boom. So Lord, we thank you for this, this day. We thank you for the truth and the reality of the victory that you've paid for us to walk in fully and completely. Lord, I ask that we would grow in the understanding of your ways. Not even just knowing you, but I ask that we would be ones like Moses asked, that we would know your ways. That we wouldn't get turned around by circumstances, by the things that we encounter in life. But that we would come into the vision of, of like Elisha that says, okay, how does this manifest the victory of God? Lord, Lord, would the strategies of heaven to manifest the victory in our region and in our circles and in our families and in our lives, would I ask that those strategies would come into our mind. Like, your ways are higher than our ways, and we want to know your ways and walk in them. However obscure, strange, uncanny, you know. We want all that is of you. We want to step into the reality of the family business. We ask that your kingdom would come in and through us, Father. That your name would be hallowed, would be set apart, would be seen. Amen. Thank you.